You don't need me to tell you that we live in an age of great technological advances. Indeed, the rapidity of such development almost frightening. I suppose most homes in the country now have a computer. And if you haven't got a computer or a laptop, you've, you've got so much, even on a mobile phone these days, at your fingertips, a computer you can put in your pocket. As regards news broadcasting, we can see what's happening in just about any other part of the world, even while it's happening, uh, thanks to satellite television. The only problem with these things is that they carry with them the potential to lead us into a spirit of materialism. But while the gadgets that are available to us may be new, the desire for material things certainly isn't. I mean, think back to Jacob and Esau. Esau set his sights on the things of earth, but it cost him severely, it cost him dearly, it cost him his eternity. Materialism, I think we maybe said this this morning, there's nothing more than organized emptiness. In the opening verses of this psalm, the writer gives account of the temptation that has plagued his very soul. He has begun to take notice, now we're talking here about a child of God. He's begun to take notice how the, the ungodly seem to be prospering while the child of God it seems just has to go through trial after trial. And he's wondering, what's, you know, why is this so? We're living in a day today where good is now called evil and evil is good. The law, as I'm sure you know, is so crooked in some instances as to favor the criminal more than the victim. But again, this is not new. Similar circumstances seem to have been abroad even back in Old Testament times when the psalmist was alive. Not only has he observed this contrast between saved and unsaved, but he's reached that sad position where he's actually envious of the wicked man's so-called prosperity. He says in verse 5, they're not in trouble as other men. Neither are they plagued like other men. Did you ever notice that? Verse 7, he remarks, Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. It seems to him that the ungodly have an abundant store of outward prosperity. I'm saying that cautiously. They seem to have the least measure of problems in this life. That may well be. They live without fear of God. Yet they seem so comfortable. Don't know to be concerned. So filled with themselves, they feel they don't need God. Isn't that where the nation is at today? They spend life in the fast lane. Some seldom seem to suffer sickness, while those who belong to the Lord hardly know what good health is. And the writer has watched this situation for so long. He's, he's tempted to turn his back on the things of the Lord in, in exchange for the, what he sees, freedom and easygoing lifestyle that so many around him seem to be enjoying. 
You ever felt like that? Now we say the psalmist was tempted to this line of thinking. But where does such temptation come from? You know, it doesn't always come from the devil. The devil's blamed for many things, sometimes that he's not guilty of. Where does temptation come from? Not always from Satan. James 1.14. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. It's the old fleshly nature rising up within the believer. When lust hath conceived, it says, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. When the ungodly man is tempted to sin, he usually just goes on ahead. He has little or no resistance to offer. And the devil will have him convinced that, well, he'd be missing something if he were to come to the Lord. If he doesn't try this sin or try that sin, he's losing out somewhere. And aren't there those beloved in society today and they've tried just about everything going and they're at their wit's end and they don't know where to go next. And this is part of the reason why our nation is in such a mess today. People have they've tried the alcohol, the nicotine, the drugs, you name it, they're into it. Now it's gender issues. They don't know what road to go next for their new buzz. But when the believer is faced with such temptation. The Holy Spirit gives him the grace and the power to overcome it and to turn the other way. And here in the psalmist, here's a child of God and he did the sensible thing. When he was being bombarded by the devil, he went into the sanctuary of God and he says in verse 17, then understood I their way, their end. Oh, I went to the place of prayer. I unburdened my heart before the Lord. And in mercy, the Lord opened my eyes to see the situation as it really is. He got a fresh look at life. And what God showed him in the place of prayer was a very far different picture from what the devil had been setting before him. As verse 18 indicates, he now saw the ungodly standing on slippery slopes lead down to hell's destruction. Beloved, I say this with the greatest of respect, that's where you are this evening if you're not sealed. On the slippery slopes that lead to hell's destruction. What if the death angel were to cut you off before this meeting were concluded? You're lost. The psalmist beheld the end of the worldlings so-called prosperity. He was brought to recognize that there's a vast difference between a saved man and an unsaved. And if you, beloved, should happen to believe that, that, that this world has far more to offer, uh, uh, something far more attractive than, than this, what you might term, narrow-minded Christianity, or maybe, maybe, you, maybe you feel more secure in the things of the world, I don't know. What you need to see is what the psalmist was brought to see. And that's what I want to look at for a moment or two here this evening. The first thing he noticed was man's corruptibility. Verse 26. My flesh and my heart faileth. 
Many so-called great men have traversed this scene of time. Some have become famous because perhaps they led some great battle, won some notable victory for their country, and the world salutes them. Some have made their name through uh, inventions where they have used their God-given skills to design some machine or instrument that is now used to ease the, the physical burdens of life for the likes of you and me. And for example, the name Bell is synonymous with the telephone. Edison, he was the electric light bulb. And a thousand and one other names have gone down in history for a thousand and one other good reasons. But however and wherever and whenever those men lived, whatever great accomplishments may be accredited to them, and we're thankful for those beneficial things, whatever may be accredited to them, they have all come to share one common denominator. They all died. He whom this world heralds as the greatest is brought down to the dust by the one enemy that is common to all mankind, death. It is appointed unto men once to die. But after this, the judgment, death will take out the king that sits on his throne in just the same manner as the pauper who begs at the street corner. I mean, death is no respecter of persons. Psalm 89, verse 48, asks the question, What man is he that liveth and shall not see death? Shall he deliver his soul from the hand of the grave? Oh, the, the writer there is throwing out a challenge to the whole world to find one person who can procure a protection against the last great enemy. But it's a challenge that he knows will never be taken up. Mind you, that doesn't stop some people trying. Remember, some years ago I saw a program on TV a place, I think it was in California. You can go in, make the necessary arrangements, sign a contract, pay a big hefty fee, and uh, they will put you into an enormous, well, a big casket, but like a coffin only, it's, it's much fancier. And they will freeze you, freeze your body. Now, of course, the contract says, I want to be thawed out. Let's say you're doing it today. I want to be thawed out 50 years from now and see what the world is like then. Of course, you pay your big check. The idea is... Um, you can you, you determine what term you want to be frozen for 50 years, 100 years, whatever see, see what sort of a world you come back to you say the Irish are stupid if ever a company was on a winner it's this one how foolish that company well we all know there is no way back you freeze the body the soul is going to leave the body isn't it there's no way back after death. Then you have your face creams and your anti-aging creams and all the rest of it. God said to Adam, Dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. 
And beloved, with all due respects, and, and I, I have to look in it too, but the next time you gaze admiringly into the mirror, just remember you're looking at clay. This flesh is called in Job 4.18, a house of clay. In 2 Corinthians 5, an earthly tabernacle. Tabernacle is just a temporary dwelling place. Well, the human body, as we all know, and the older you get, the more conscious you become of it. Yes, it's fearfully and wonderfully made, and while some enjoy a stronger constitution than others, nevertheless, we are all earthen. The psalmist said, man at his best state is altogether vanity. Even at your best hopes, beloved, every one of us lives just next door to corruption. The body is every moment decaying. And when the time comes, God will not have to bring out any artillery to bring this house down. But the gentlest breath from the death angel will bring this house of clay crumbling to the dust. It will not matter what titles a man may have or what assets he may have accumulated. None of these things will give him back one breath when the death angel comes. Oh, we can do all we like to try and prolong life. But when the death angel comes for a warrant, with a warrant for your arrest, you'll go. And your body will be laid in Mother Earth to become what the renowned Samuel Rutherford termed clay worms meat. Not very complimentary, sure it's not. This is something the psalmist came to realize. The ungodly, they're living for all they can get out of this world. As if there was nothing else to do but pack in as much amusement and enjoyment as you can cram into a day and into your whole life. Lay up treasures here, there, and yonder. And, and there are people there are people in the, the entertainment industry and they're making millions. What for? I know if you're going out to the supermarket, a couple of pounds in your pocket is very useful. But no matter, what's the point in laying up a whole load of treasure in this life to be carried away from it? I've often said to people, when it comes to dying, it doesn't matter what size of a house you're carried out of. You're going to leave everything. And all that matters is where will your soul be? Second thing the psalmist noticed here was the unsaved man's destiny. Verse 27. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. The tenor of this psalm is the apparent prosperity. I emphasize apparent. The apparent prosperity of the wicked. But is there in prosperous? A pastor in Texas was visiting a man one day. Oh, he lived in a big ranch. He took great delight in showing the pastor around, and he pointed in that direction. He said, see those, see the, 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 those fields stretching away to the mountain, all that forest of trees over there in the hills? See, that's all mine. One round the side, he said, see those hills, those fields of green stretching as far as you? That's all mine. But round this side, see those oil wells out there? It's all mine. You see that? See all that livestock? 
Hundreds of animals, all mine. Right around them. The pastor said, that's, that's all very, that's all very impressive. Tell me, what have you got up there? He got the message. He had nothing. Nothing that he could call his own. There was everything around him. He was going to have to leave it. Scripture asks the question, What shall it profit a man? If he shall gain the whole world. Nobody ever will, of course. But if he could, what shall it profit? If he gain the whole world and lose his own soul, absolutely nothing. And you know, there are people in eternity tonight who had their millions, but they died without a saviour. And they would give their millions a million times over if they could just come back and have an opportunity to get right with God. But it's not going to happen. When the writer of this psalm went into the sanctuary of God and he spent time with the Lord in the place of prayer, he saw things in a very different light. He came to realize that the lot of the ungodly man is not one to be coveted. He says in verse 19, they are brought down into desolation in a moment. And utter, they're utterly consumed with terrors. Beloved, that's what it is to go into a lost eternity. That's what it is to die without the Savior. You live for this world. This is your heaven. This is as good as it gets. But nothing for you after death but hell in all its stark reality. Some people talk glibly and think that hell is just the, the miseries you go through in this life. Nothing of the sort. I don't care how miserable life may become in this scene of time. If a man's not saved, this is still heaven in comparison with the hell that he's headed for if he doesn't trust Christ. For salvation. If, if a man died like the beast in the field, then uh, and that was the end of it, it wouldn't really matter how he lived or when his life ended. Some people believe that to be the, the case, but it's no more than convenient thinking for a fool. The Bible teaches we have a soul that will live forever and never cease to be. And what fools are they whose whole contrivance is to please that part of their being? It's going to fail and corrupt away while all the time neglecting, trifling so carelessly with their never dying soul. You know, we laugh at children. We, we see them go down to the beach and build wee sandcastles. That's fun. I've done it myself. Well, we know rightly. The first big wave comes in. Their, their construction's going to demolish. But you know, the greater part of men are but children of a larger dimension and far more foolish. Ungodly men gather fuel for the fires of covetousness that burn in their breast. But they live as if God had no other purpose for them than to fatten them up for the grave. And the truth is, death is not the end, it's only the beginning. For the unsaved, the beginning of sorrows. To leave this life in the pursuit 
and service of fleshly lusts is to be irrecoverably lost. It's to enter into miseries beyond all expression, beyond all conception. Job lived a life of temporal calamity where he suffered the loss of everything near and dear to him. But God made a way out for Job. When a man passes through the doorway to a lost eternity, there is no way out. There's no way back. There's no purgatory in the Bible. There's no reprieve from the sufferings of hell. It will go on and on and on without end. Our finite minds can't begin to comprehend what that's like. To, to be there forever with no change, no end. Time doesn't pass in eternity. It stands still. It's forever now. Judas made for himself a kind of a, a hell on earth when he betrayed the Savior, but his conscience smote him sore and he, he couldn't live with himself any longer. And so he, he made a way out by taking his own life. But what did he do? He landed himself in that awful eternity that that God had prepared for the devil and his angels. He wasn't prepared for men at all. And tonight Judas's past sins still haunt him, as do the sins of every Christ rejecter. Memories of past pleasures, the life lived for the flesh, the worldly companions, the gathering of possessions, the thoughts of loved ones over in heaven. And oh, how terrifying are the flames of torment. But you know what must make hell the worst of all is the knowledge, the awful truth that it didn't have to be this way. The greatest agony of, of hell must be the thoughts of lost opportunity, neglect, the rejection of Christ, the spurning of the gospel, the ignoring the means of salvation. And to hear those damning words ringing in your ears, depart from me, I never knew you. And the God who could have saved you would be compelled to banish you from his presence forever because you wouldn't leave your sin and receive Christ as your Savior. Why would anybody continue down that road? Oh, this psalmist got his eyes open all right. And God helped him to see where the ungodly man's supposed prosperity is really taking him. He came to realize that the man who hasn't got Christ has got nothing. They that are far from thee shall perish. What are you doing in your life tonight, beloved? Can you see no further than earthly possessions? I pray God will open your eyes as he did this pen man. Moses said, oh, that they were wise. That they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. This flesh will fail. And if you die in your natural sinful state, beloved, you will be doomed and damned for all eternity. And we get no pleasure out of saying that. But it's a truth you need to face. Ah, but there's something else here this time so I want you to see before we finish God's mercy my flesh and my heart faileth he says but God underline that 
but God. God has taken the initiative in that he has provided a way of escape from the terrors of a lost eternity. And it's a way of escape, by the way, that must be secured before death comes. There are no second chances afterwards. Some people are quick to blame God when some catastrophe occurs. But you know, God is a God of mercy. God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's not the Lord's will that anybody should perish. God is my portion, the psalmist said. He discovered that all that the world has was nothing. And, and he laid hold upon what the Lord was offering. Eternal life. And listen, it's promised to the whosoever will. You don't need any university degree to, to qualify for this. You don't need any education. The only education any man needs is to know himself a sinner. And Jesus Christ, the Savior. That's all you need. That's enough education for heaven. Even if you had never been to school, you'd still be saved. <clears throat> to those who accept Christ as Savior, he has promised a so great salvation. Heaven for all eternity. No more sin. No more sighing. No more tears. No more aches and pains. Just the bliss of heaven forever. I, in, in the presence of the one who gave his life to make it possible for us. Now think for a moment. God demands holiness in his creation. But man chooses to live for himself and for sin. God demands that we worship him only. But how many live worshiping themselves as if God doesn't matter? Worshiping their own ego. He has bidden you not to put anything before him. But would somebody have to confess, well, yes, I, I've been pampering my own flesh with the trinkets and amusements of this sinful old world, and I've left the Lord out. The Savior bids you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Oh, no, you, you've sought to live for number one as if God doesn't exist. You have, in effect, given your energies to further the kingdom of Satan. Because if you're not on the Lord's side, you're on the devil's side. There's no middle ground. God has faithfully warned you that the wages of sin is death. Yet, you continue in sin. That's dangerous. God has loved you. Yet you show hatred of him. Why? He has given his son to die for you. You said, well, what's that to me? He has provided a full and free salvation. Would you cast that back in his face by rejecting Christ? God has paid the ultimate sacrifice to save your soul. Your soul. But you've despised it. And tonight, he's offering you the way of escape. Escape from the jaws of hell. What are you going to do? 
Heaven and hell are before you. What is your choice? Because right now in your heart of hearts, you're making a choice. It's either give me Christ or away with him. In front of you is a door of mercy. I said already, it's not God's will that you should perish. The Lord doesn't want you to go to hell. He wants you to exercise repentance. That means forget about your sin. Turn your back on your sin. Lay hold upon Christ. Acknowledge he's your, your only hope for eternity. He's the only savior. This flesh will fail you. Your sin will damn you. But God will save you. Beloved, it is a reality that every one of us is just one breath away from eternity. And the question is, where? Where will you be? Oh, you've heard this a thousand times, haven't you? Are you still without, without Christ? In the last verse of the psalm, the writer says, I have put my trust in the Lord God. Will you? Romans ten thirteen, For whosoever, put your name in there, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's God's word, not mine. Whosoever, Acts 4 and 12, neither is there salvation in any other. We talked this morning something about the, 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 the various false religions that are in this world. There's the only one way of salvation. That's Christ. And beloved, let's face it. You know, there, there are so many, and we've met so many on the doorstep, and they'll argue that they live a good life and they don't do anybody any harm and they pay a hundred pence in the pound all their... That's commendable. Most of them more like them. But they're not saved. It doesn't matter how good, how upright a person may be. We're all born sinners. And except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He will not see it. Pure and simple. Beloved, you need Christ for eternity. Cast your sin upon him. Trust him. Receive him into your heart and life. Let him save you. He wants to. And you can go on your way rejoicing. Put your head on the pillow tonight. And know that if you don't open your eyes in this life again, you'll open them in glory. But you have to do it. You have to trust Christ before death comes. When are you going to die? Hmm. None of us know, do we? None of us know. I might not make it to that door. You might not make it to that door. Death could come in the blink of an eye. It has happened. The man we knew was at a, 
family get-together some years ago. Not sure what they were celebrating, but family were all there, gathered around the table, had enjoyed a lovely meal, bit of crack, bit of chat. Somebody went around taking pictures. Took this man's photograph. Sitting smiling for the camera. And then the camera, the person with the camera moved on to the next table. Within 30 seconds of that man having his photograph taken, he was in God's eternity. Oh, he looked the picture of health. 30 seconds. And he was gone. It's a good job he was saved. If that had been you, where would you be? Beloved, don't miss it. Don't miss it for anybody or for anything. This, this is what you need more than anything else. More than anything else. Lay hold upon Christ. Jesus is passing this way. Is passing this way today. For your benefit. Don't miss it. Come and trust him. Let the Lord save you. Let him bless you. And go on your way rejoicing. May the Lord give you grace so to do.